I believe life is one big spiritual creative experience and everything that we do, whether it's start a business, write a book, fall in love, or I don't know, pull a bunch of tarot cards, has a little spiritual lesson wrapped up inside of it. I'm obsessed with trying to understand the mysteries of the world from the arcane to the mundane and unboxing as many spiritual lessons as I can. And on the 12th house, we're going to explore all of that. So let's get into it together. All right, we're back. Last episode in our eighth house, the house of other people's money mini series. I can't believe it. Honestly, I could talk about this forever. So maybe we'll come back to it eventually. It seems like you guys really liked it and have some thoughts. I would love to hear from you. If you're on Spotify, there's this little under each episode, you can leave a comment and I get all of them. So I would love to hear from you what your thoughts were. Likes, dislikes, wanting to double click on different little annotations that we have and and segues and offshoots (laughs) in each conversation. Because in this last series of six episodes, I feel like there's just been so much that's come up. And I wish I was an easy breezy person. Alas, I am not. I am the opposite of that, actually. And I'm a planner, like as much as one can be a planner with ADHD. And when I planned this series of episodes and started scripting them and thinking about like, okay, what's the point? What's the thesis? What's the op-ed here? I had a lot of thoughts. And I also was hoping that by the time I got to the end of these interviews and these conversations, and honestly, sometimes when we are forced to articulate our sort of like ephemeral thoughts, thoughts are like floating out in space, and we're forced to like ground them down with actual words on a page we come to a clearer determination of our like own understanding. And I was hoping that that would happen. <laughs> I get to the end of the series and I'm like, I have such a strong thesis. I know exactly what I think about this. I have the roadmap. And while I think that I have a much more expansive constellation in my night sky when it comes to thinking about money and other people's money and my relationship to money and wealth that is ever growing and ever expanding, just like universe, I can't say that I necessarily feel as if it is more defined. There's a couple of things that I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's definitely like come to light for me or that's that's landed. But I can't say that anything is for sure <laughs> other than that concept of knowing when enough is enough and like moving back to myself for that or you're checking myself for that. And I'm really excited for today's conversation with Jalisa because what we talk about sums up a lot of what we've tap danced or circled around in these last couple of conversations. And we'll get to that in a second. But if you haven't listened to the other episodes in this series, if you're just coming in because you're obsessed with Jalisa, hi, join the club. I would definitely recommend, of course, listening to this episode, but going back because there are some really brilliant people that I got a chance to talk to. And I think some really interesting, interesting things to chew on that we've discussed in this series. So thanks for hearing me. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you don't know, we have a paid podcast. So we have a paid feed for subscribers. It's $5 a month. You get two episodes every month, two extra episodes. And wow, you guys, there's so many people. There's like now hundreds of people that are listening to our paid feed, which is so cool. So thank you to our premium subscribers. We so appreciate you. You help make this show run. And if you like this conversation, these conversations, I think you'll really like the 12th House Plus. Usually we do a like a mini audio course that ends up being like $2, but it's an hour of me teaching a concept, generally about intuitive business or 
or how to be like an intuitive, creative person. And then a more fun, like green room behind the scenes episode. And they're really fun. The next episode that we have coming up is with Emily Rousseau, who's an astrologer. And we're talking about Pluto Aquarius. Oh, wait, actually, I think that just went up. I'm looking at my calendar. That just went up. So it's really good. We're definitely shit talking in it. So it's behind the paywall. But I just want to thank all of our paid subscribers. You guys rock. And if you're not a paid subscriber, thank you so much for listening. And you can help the show out and help us out as creators by um, subscribing if you haven't already. And if you've already done that and you're like, I love the show. Thank you so much for making it. And I've gotten something valuable out of it. It helps us so much when you write a review, mostly because it helps us continue to keep going. Because <laughs> sometimes... <laughs> making things on for other people is like hard. You know, it's like really hard and you really doubt yourself, even if you've been doing it for a long time. So even just like a, a small, tiny treat of like, I really like this and I listen to it every week. Truly, it like sustains. We actually have a, we have a Slack chat, a Slack channel on the team that's, it's called hashtag why we do this because each Slack has a hashtag. It's not like being millennial. It's like, that's what you have to call it. You have to start with a hashtag. Anyways, it's called why we do it. And we, we put in like when we get nice emails or nice comments and stuff, we, we put them in there and then everyone like freaks out and gets so excited. And like I always send a crying gif because it like actually does make me cry. Anyways, if you write a nice review, it will definitely go up in the Slack channel and we will I will definitely cry about it. So yeah, we appreciate you for that. So, well, without further ado, let's get into the episode. I'm so delighted to have Jaleesa Cypress on the 12th house for the second time. She's so smart. She's so cool. She's the mistress of a mystery school, headmistress of a mystery school. She's an astrologer. She's an artist. She's a writer. And honestly, one of my favorite people to follow online <laughs> for so many reasons. One of those being that she's a mutable expert. And I mean that as the highest compliment, highest form of praise. It seems like she's open to changing her mind and showing us that she's changed her mind and talking about it. And I think that that's really rare when we have experts online or anyone who's an expert in a space because so much of expertise is built around having a sort of concrete, unwavering perspective and seeing it with your whole chest, right? Even if it's wrong and defending your belief system or whatever. And I find it refreshing. And I think it's a sign of intelligence because Julissa is obviously incredibly intelligent. I felt so stupid talking to her. I only interview people who are smarter than me at this point. And you can like hear my brain buffering in real time, I swear to God, because I'm just like really trying to stay with what she's saying. And she's working so much faster than my little like puny, puny brain can function. So <laughs> you, you will hear my jaw go slack for a second while I'm like gathering my thoughts and then <laughs> trying to keep up with her. But she's just so smart and so cool and also fun, like really fun. And I appreciate that. And I really appreciate her perspective on money and wealth because first off, if you already listened to the Chrome other episode, we touched on this of what it's like to read for other people and to have like a psychic, intuitive or mediumistic experiences for others and see and understand money and their and the relationship of others to to money and like what they need to do because that's so often a question right when you're doing a reading for someone like what do I need to do to be successful or to make more money or xyz or to have my dream job and sort of like communicating that message that spiritual message gives you some sort of understanding of wealth or money or the house of other people's money 
And obviously, Jaleesa is an astrologer, so she knows a lot about the eighth house and reads lots of charts and has seen in real time how that shows up for people. So she has some knowledge base, right? Like she has evidence. And it's really interesting to me what she has to say there. But also as an artist and as a creative person relating to money. And we have a really, we just did a series called Killing the Starving Artist Archetype. And it's about being a creative person and and getting out of the starving artist, like moving away from that, being the the way to be creative or like the only accepted archetype when it comes to being a creative. Like what happened? Why can't we be creative geniuses who also have our needs met <laughs> or, or more than that or abundant? And I think that Jaleesa is practicing that in in front of us. And it's just very cool to see. And I love her for it. And I love watching her in public. And I love talking to her more privately. And I'm desperately trying to get to mystery school in London in the fall. So if anyone wants to, to join, maybe we could split an Airbnb. I don't know. Let me know. Hit me up. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. Jaleesa has so much to say and She's just so good. If you're not already following her, make sure you follow her and sign up for Mystery School. And if you like this episode, hit, let me know. You can reply on Spotify. You can also DM us on Holisticism on Instagram. You can send me an email, michelle at oholisticism.com. Or I don't know, you can send a carrier pigeon or something. Or you can write a review. All of the above. We love, adore, and appreciate. Well, with that, let's get into today's episode. We're talking about the eighth house and other people's Mm -hmm. money. Maybe I'm just projecting, but I'm noticing a really interesting sort of like two different camps that are like being built up, it feels like, and the spaces that you and I sort of like float around in. People who are like really interested in diving into this type of conversation around what is money? How do we relate to it? Wealth? Why do we want it? Blah, blah, blah. And other people who are just like, it ain't that deep. (laughs) Let's not think about it too Mm. much. We want to make it. So here's how we manifest a lot of money. And I don't think either are bad, but I am just an inherently curious person. So I would love to hear from you. Do you feel like attracted to one side more than the other? Do you feel like innately curious about the energy of money and like wanting to understand it? Or do you kind of just accept it as it's? I would love to be the type to just accept things and move on. That's beautiful. That's not not nice. how I work. <laughs> yeah. I have Pluto in my eighth house. So I'm very Plutonian and and Scorpio about money. I'm like, I got to get to the bottom of this. And like every time it turns inside out on me, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is just this thing that we like put a lot of meaning into. But I think that it's more just being aware that the collective conscious is so wrapped up in it. People make really, really rash decisions based off of how much money is in their bank account, based off of how much money is being offered to them. So I think that my interest in it and and like kind of deep-seated longing to know mirrors the collective's experience with money. I think there's a lot less people who do feel like, oh, it's just there and I can just have it. There's so much in the way and that even just saying that out loud, I think people hear it in such a distorted way. Yeah, the distortions around it are incredibly loud. So yeah, I would definitely say I'm, I would say I hang out in both camps, but I'm like, I'm a lot more like interested in getting my hands dirty in the camp that's very 
has to get to the bottom of everything. Let's find the worms and the bugs and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. You posted something the other day on threads, by the way, I love threads. Yeah. It's very casual. Speaking yeah. of casual, it's very like, Oh, I'll just put it there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw you yeah. posted something on there about like, Oh my God, money is so fake. It was so much more thoughtfully articulated than that. But like, now more than ever, like, don't you guys recognize that it's just numbers on a screen that like there's nothing really behind and that we kind of other than our belief, like there's not like a literal gold bar, you know, that connected to my bank account and the number in my bank account that gets chipped away when I like spend some money. It's all like it's all on a computer. And I was like, right. That's so that's so right. Are you like that all the time? Or do you have to like remind yourself of that understanding? I oscillate. It was really interesting because I spent a lot of time in Mexico and I spent a lot of time in the UK. And both of those places, the word for money is pounds. And so you get this idea of like, oh, this is like the weight of like, there's a certain amount of how much this weighs, basically. Yeah. yeah. The weight of material, the weight of an of an item. And so I feel like that was a really interesting experienced and also just living somewhere where like hundreds of pesos is like 20 us you know like just this kind of like exchange rates and like just traveling a lot and being a lot of different places i think that money has become very light in that sense because i do realize that it is just this kind of thing that we assign numbers and value to slightly arbitrarily yeah and then i think coming back to america it's gotten a lot more I've been a lot more aware of how it's playing out in people's psyche. And so I've gotten back into my deep, my deep diving and my bottom feeding activities. Are you seeing that when you're reading for people? Because you're an amazing astrologer and psychic and artist. Is that something that you're noticing, like a pattern that you're seeing, I guess? What's really interesting is I tend to (laughs) I tend to be able to untie the knots people have in their relationship to money within minutes and then they'll, but they'll sign up for like something longer. Right. Or, and so that's, what's so interesting about just this conversation is that's what I'm seeing is I'm like, well, that's not real. And I just kind of untie the thing and they're like, whoa, but there's this integration of like, okay, well, I'm a little wobbly now that you've like untied my skates or whatever. Like I need you to, I need to like figure out how to integrate this. So I think that, yes, definitely people are coming to me. I mean, people have always come to me about money, but I definitely think recently it's been a lot of like the illusion has become very thick. And I think that I have been able to clear it very quickly or break through that very quickly, but that doesn't always stick for people. So it's more about like the integration process and the depth which I think is really interesting because eighth house is related to Scorpio and that's like still water. And so there's a sense of like stillness and containment and depth Mm -hmm. that I think people need to feel around it to feel like they can generate something out of that idea instead of it just being an idea that's kind of like floating in the fields or is like, yeah, that's true. But it makes me think when my like mindset around money calcifies or I notice it beginning to calcify, it's often because there's like, all this chaos up top, you know, like the waves are really waving. I'm reading like headlines about the economy and inflation and recessions. I'm seeing people in the online sphere talking about money in a certain way, or like right now there's such a big trend of 
service providers leading with how much money they make. Like I made $500,000 last year and that's why you should buy my course on whatever, on like how to fold blankets. You know, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) What do those two things have to do with each other? Cool, but like also what? And almost like you said illusion, it is, it's like very distracting. It sort of like points us away from like the truth. And also I noticed for myself that calcification happens when it's like really feels chaotic. And the more I like sink down and get back to myself and like turn the volume down on the outside sources, the more I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I'm kind of like getting flustered for no reason. I guess I I just share that because it feels resonant. But for you, do you feel like the internet is helping us or mm-hmm. hurting us when it comes to like this eighth house energy? Yeah, I love that we're returning to this because the last time we talked, it would think it was about manifestation. And I said that the internet was neutral. And when, then we had like a thing yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. And I want to repeat like why I feel like the internet is a mirror. So yeah. to me, a mirror is neutral and it's just kind of mirror. So it's just people. It's also like algorithmic and works the same way reality does. So the way that like you're seeing stuff and it's creating stuff in your system and then that's going to be reflected. It's like this. It is those waves. And I think a lot about like when we're talking about the eighth house, then we can also talk about the 12th and the fourth and Pisces and cancer energy are both mutable water. And we traditionally don't look to those houses to deal with money. And yet most of the time people are existing in those spaces dealing with money. like. Even with the fourth house, there's this like grounding, it's the helm, but it's really about community and support and resource that's emotional, emotional resource. And the 12th house is like this kind of amorphous, like none of it matters. Not, I mean, you're very familiar with Pisces, but like this, yeah. this sense of like, it's all it's all one thing anyway. It doesn't matter anyway, or being too much in the spiritual or being too much in the avoidant. It's like, we don't look to those houses to see like to look for for pointers for how to deal with with money. And interestingly enough, we look at the polarity houses of the second and the eighth, and the second is much more stable because it's earthly, so there's something very grounding about it. Deep water is sort of terrifying. I don't know if you've seen the creatures that exist in deep water, oh, yeah. just in general, yeah. but it's like alien, immortal jelly. Like it's insane. It's like aliens probably do live down there, honestly. Yeah. Like that's yeah. probably where their base camp is. Like they, that's probably if they had to set up shop on our planet, that's where it would be because no one would find them. Yeah. And we don't really go down there. We don't. We don't know and anything about it. We don't really like stuff that's that kind of stillness and that kind of darkness and that kind of unknown and that's what the eighth house is like really pulling you to look at and i think that in a lot of ways the internet has become like our eighth or our twelfth house like as a collective because we're just kind of like we're we're trying to work it out and it's like supposed to be more mercurial right it's supposed to be like ideas and connection and community and and passage of ideas but it's actually become this place where we like expose taboos and like make a tiktok about something because the news isn't and like you know explore the depths of our consciousness and make memes about death right it's like oh okay it's all here so i definitely feel like the internet is if you're prepared to see yourself, it's helpful. If you're not, I think it's definitely hurtful 
But with money in general, I mean, the internet is such a fascinating topic because that's where our money lives now. Cash is a is a relic at this point. Like sometimes people don't even accept it in real life, mm-hmm. not just on yeah. the internet where we're paying for things, obviously, with our credit card or whatever through PayPal, through the internet. Yeah, I realize I kind of pushed you into a, into a binary there, but I, I <laughs> agree. Okay. Like, I think it just kind of depends on your mood. Like, what are you bringing to mm-hmm. it? To the point where, yeah, maybe you see something that like makes you spin out and then you see something that Jaleesa posts and you're like, oh, right. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it's I also I also love that you're like, you said it more eloquently. It was like, no, it was all capitals, LMAO. Money is actually just numbers on a screen. <laughs> Like that's that's what she's referring to. (laughs) It was eloquent to me. You know, I I got the point across. (laughs) Succinct for sure. Yeah. 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 You were nodding your head. I noticed when we briefly touched on using income as like evidence of success. Why are you nodding your head? I'm curious. What what's is there anything there for you? Yeah, I I love the pyramid scheme of like, I make a lot of money. So let me teach you how to make money that I make money from you to teach you how. To, I love that pyramid scheme so much. Like, it's it so beautiful. Capitalism, honestly, because capitalism <laughs> kind of is just one big pyramid scheme. It's like, let me buy this thing that I'm going to then sell to you. And then you're going to sell it to other people. It's kind of that's how it works. Yeah, I th- I find that it's like it just points to the absurdity of everything i think that when we're like this is absurd it's like how is your house still standing after hundreds of years i don't know like everything is kind of absurd you know a cd i mean (laughs) what is that also crystals that comes out of the ground what are you talking about like it's started about the human body yeah it is so absurd (laughs) like we're also mostly just water walking around in skin we have holes in us like just you know yeah we're like atoms that are like not even really screwed together but our brains decide that we're solid that's wild yeah it's it's just like oh it's all absurd so this idea of people using their numbers okay it's interesting because i thought you're gonna use the example of people using the numbers to say let me teach you how to make money Mm -hmm. but you use an example of like so let me you know teach you this other thing which i have seen that i think as well I don't know. I kind of love that. It's like, well, I'm really good at making money. So like maybe maybe I'll be really good at teaching you this other thing. I love that there's like the lack of connection is like really beautiful in a certain kind of way. But you're also talking to someone like I love the absurd. I love like the surreal. I love stuff that's like, oh, that makes no sense. Okay, this is also the funny thing. People's numbers that they make public, it's like they white out all the important information. Like, is this net? Is it gross? Like, is this over the last 10 years? Is it the last month? And from what? You know, like, it just shows you like a number, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I could do that also and have no basis for it, which maybe I should. I also love it because it just puts the conversation on the table. Like, so what does that mean? And why does that either draw or repel me? And from you, and what are you mirroring back to me about my relationship with this thing that you're selling or this thing that you're telling me I need and money and like using money to pay for things as well is, is really interesting. Like certain experiences, the fact that you can pay money to experience them, like sex, for example, you can pay money to experience sex. It's like, what, you know, that kind of trade or that it's kind of this, it's almost like like how water is a universal solvent. It's like we've made money this kind of universal opportunity or universal portal for experience. And that's been a conscious choice. 
that made me just think about, yeah, we can, we even exchange money for like spiritual experiences. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, then I was like, well, is that wrong or bad or should we not? I don't know. Not no, but Mm -hmm. not, I guess it shouldn't only be that. Or it doesn't have to only be that to have certain experiences, we have to pay for them. But I think we're constantly being consumed and consuming. And that's just like the cycle of life. Yeah. And I think with payment, if you're not paying with money, you're paying with something else. Yeah. So it's like, oh, let's go back to a barter system. It's like, yeah, but I, what if this crystal means like the absolute world to me and I want to trade it for like a giant house, but a giant house means, you know, like we having some kind of, universal acknowledgement of value is useful. We all don't value a dollar the same way. I guess that is what the interesting thing is. It's like, well, what can you get for a dollar? I think that's one of the things that they use to separate generations, right? Like, what can you buy? What could you buy for a dollar when you were a kid? And none of that stuff is real also. Like, none of that is real. It's just like they just decided like, oh, we're just increasing this now because we did this other thing and we have to go along the lines like economics itself is like okay people on the internet are like economics is just astrology for finance bros like it's a bit reductive to everyone involved but it is kind of true because it's like yeah there's there's a lot of evidence for both for astrology and for economics and it's not like hard science there are Mm. of course like there are outliers there are people who can disprove all of it I'm on either side. And and yet we treat economics like it truly is like the most pure math that can never be wrong. We're not even talking about scientism, which is like our current worldview and belief that science is the ultimate in truth, when in reality, mm-hmm. it isn't like mm-hmm. the ultimate truth. And probably in 50 to 100 years, we'll be like, oh my God, can you do you remember when we were like obsessed with science? Oh my God. And mm-hmm. like finding evidence for everything. We we're so dumb. That's all to say, like, <laughs> yeah astrology and, and economics are not that far from each other. And that's not meant to like reduce either of them uh, or the importance of either of them, but they're malleable. They're mutable. You know, the proposal for this conversation about like the eighth house and other people's money, I think it's so interesting because the idea that anybody owns money, like it's like, well, it just kind of exists. And then like, you can kind of collect some of it. But even that's not yours. Like my money is in a bank. It's owned by a bank. If I don't put it in a bank and I have it in cash, it's possible that it could be taken from me. It could blow away in the wind. It has ownership to a state. Like you have your Mm -hmm. money in USD or you have your money in pesos or you have your money in pounds. Like that technically belongs to that sovereign nation. I have um, money from a lot of different places I've been. And the fact that it like doesn't, mean anything here but also if i take it and exchange it it sometimes like means a lot more than money does here i remember the first time i went outside of the united states and i went to canada my money was worth more there than it is here and i was like this is really trippy because things are kind of higher quality here so what like it, it was very it created a different kind of reality for me Yeah, there's something about other people's money that really stuck with me that just this idea of ownership and and loss, I think. Like this idea of like, oh, I lost money. I'm like, well, you didn't. It still exists. Like it's some it's somewhere and it's 
it has to come back. I think this is something that I really want people to remember. Like it has to come back to you. Like money has no other option but to return to you, whether that's like because you have something that you can trade money for, whether that's like a talent or a skill or a shoe or a glass or literally anything. It loves to be circulated. So it is guaranteed that it will circulate towards you in some form again. And I think it's really important for people to remember that. I think what I what I'm really fascinated about with other people's money is the holding and containing part of it and that people feel so uncomfortable with this idea of debt, being in debt to people and even like if you have investors, right? Like you're kind of in debt to them in a certain kind of way even if you're not meant to give the money back. Yeah. You're kind of in debt to the success of the endeavor or to whatever that is. You feel like you owe them for believing in you. Like you have to prove Mm. them right or give them something, some sort of exchange of like good faith. Just that being watched, I think, is what really sticks out to me with other people's money is that someone's watching how you're working with this thing or someone else is aware of this like thing that's supposed to be secret. And I think that's why the eighth house is also related to sexuality and the occult and like other things that we find really taboo. And so when other people are kind of in on those things and the secret is out, it feels very like daunting and there's inherent power dynamic in that. And then we kind of label who has the power in that relationship, often towards the person who's the the creditor, but it's not always the case. I love talking about other people's money, but I have the sun in my eighth house. So I love it. Like I love the money diaries subreddit. Like I just... Mm. I'm obsessed with it. I love going into people's houses and being like, how'd you buy this? (laughs) You know, like, or like, how much money do you make? Like, what do you do? Wow. What is that like? What is, how, how do they pay you for that? Like, how much does it cost you to make that thing? You sell it for what? Wow. That's so cool. Probably like why I don't have like a ton of friends because I'm constantly asking (laughs) shit like that. But yeah, I, I think that we all are like so fascinated by how everyone else is, mm. is doing it. And we've also been sort of like sold this unnuanced wholesale story that, well, you get a job and then you save money and then you use the money from your job to buy the house and then you invest in your 401k. And like, while all of that is true, there are so many other ways that money comes into us or that we're like born with money or that we inherit money or we... Mm-hmm steal money. You know, there's so many things that contribute. It's not just like one portal in and one portal out. And I feel like it's unseen that house of other people's money is so in the shadows for a lot of us that we don't want to like hold a candle up to it and kind of look at all of the passageways or pathways that are in the like sort of antechamber that we're standing in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. The way that I conceptualize the houses is like it's a build or even the signs is a building of the building blocks of a human being. So in the first house, we're like, oh, I'm a me. I'm a separate being. I'm a separate entity. The second house is like me and my stuff. Like I have ownership. I have, I I now have things like along with having a body. I now have, well, the body is the first thing that we own. Yeah. And so this kind of idea or proposition in astrology that the ownership is then in direct conflict with or in opposition to or in constant relationship with what other people own. And I think that that tension is something that we're seem to be really reckoning with 
And maybe that is what separates those two camps is like the people who really deeply feel and almost are consumed by what other people think and how other people feel and what other people are experiencing versus the the other camp that's like, it's not my business, you know, because really what is in the eighth house isn't our business or what's in other people's, right? But we also have that as a part of our own chart because also, right, it's above the horizon. So we come out and we see other people and we see other people's relationship to things. And then we relate to other people's relationship to things by getting into these contracts, whether they're sexual, magical, or financial. So that's what we see when we come into the eighth, right after the seventh, which is relationship, right? So it's like relationship. Okay, now there's stuff to reckon with about like ownership and do I own you? And what does it look like to like have some of your sexual energy and share that? And what does it look like to share money and like power and all this stuff? You and I are knowledge workers. That's part of what we do. So when someone consumes us or buys something that we sell or books time with us, like they are taking part of us, like in a way, right? It's all good. Um, or I think I feel like it's all good, but they're consuming like part of our essence, owning part of our essence in a way, or like taking hold of that just by like sure virtue of our jobs. And I think that's mm-hmm. honestly the, the truth for most people, but it's a little bit more plain when you're sharing something that comes out of your brain or out of your intuition. Once you go from the eighth, you go to the ninth, right? So it's like after you reckon with that, then you like go on this quest for learning and teaching and knowledge and the ninth house is something that you're very connected to in your business. And so the sense of having to go through that step of reckoning. And so the fact that a lot of people who are teachers or claim to be teachers in the public eye, the fact that there is this kind of wobble between the eighth and the ninth, like that it's like, okay, but is it okay that I ask for money for this? Is it okay that I have money? Is it okay that I... And then the people who are like, also doing the same thing by showing their numbers and like talking too much about money or being too transparent or whatever it is, playing the game on the other side, but in the same house, you know, we do lose out on like the evolution that comes from like the 10th, which is like this like actual fulfillment, like real fulfillment and real legacy that money is just a role or or plays a part in, but isn't, it's not the whole enchilada. And so, yeah, that journey and like getting stuck there is really interesting to me. And also, obviously, because most millennials have Pluto and Scorpio, that is meant to be echoing through the halls of the the psyche of the millennial generation. Do you think that being in between Gen X and then Gen Z and also Gen Alpha coming up on our on our tails, does that help us work through <laughs> Pluto and Scorpio, that energy? Or does it kind of like plant us a little bit more in it. Of course, I'm going to say this, but I think it does both. I think that, yeah. you know, Pluto and Sag, it's very like, burn it all down, like just find your own thing. Like there is an individualism to it. It's moving fire. It's like wildfire. So yeah. I think that let's use a, a very physical manifestation of this. Like if you're in the swamp, just kind of like in the swamp, mm-hmm. but there's wildfire. It's like, you can't help but look and pick up your head and kind of be like, oh, okay, I've been so focused on what I think matters and in my kind of deep waters that I'm not really privy to the fact that like everything around me is changing. And I think that there is this like culture specifically on TikTok of like generations making fun of each other or making caricatures of each other, which I find really interesting. 
Because obviously, historically, the tradition has been a sharing of wisdom and just sharing in general and kind of admiring or uplifting. I'm okay with it becoming a kind of a joking jest. But at the same time, it's, yeah, yeah, we lose something. The boomer generation, baby boomers, were the kind of the first generation to be like nagging, (laughs) you know, the generations Mm, that came mm -hmm. beneath them and and kind of like miserly with their wisdom. And maybe even like, did they have any wisdom? I mean, they do have wisdom, but... Mm. Definitely a different flavor. And I would say that the currency of their wisdom does not go as far in this current time because it just isn't, we're living in such a different world that it's not really applicable a lot of the time, at least in my experience. But I I kind of feel like millennials feel a little bit more like they see the light in everyone. They're like, well, Gen X that came before us, like they're so cool. And Gen Z, you guys are amazing. Like you, you, Mm. you like love what you're doing keep doing it. I'm scared of you, but like you're doing a great job. And I kind of feel like we don't get ever like everyone hates us and we're kind of used to everyone like shitting on us and our fucking avocado toast and whatever and wanting to have different jobs and being on the internet and Instagram, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm like, that's just in the algorithm that I'm in or the circles that I'm in where millennials are almost like deferential, almost in a like, not in a not to like be alpha beta, but almost in a like, let me like go belly up and just be like, you guys are awesome. Mm. Just like, please don't make fun of me. <laughs> or like, you can make fun of me. I get why you're making fun of me. It's fine. You know, I get it. I'm embarrassing. Like, it's all good. That's my my take on it. Yeah. And I think that that is to our detriment, 100%. Because like Pluto and Scorpio is like, you have power with which you can do whatever you want. And to choose to submit or to subvert it is a choice. And I think that the lack of choice within millennial conversations irks me to no end just because of how much power we really do have. And it's, yes, I think it's disappointing. But I would say that millennials play victim. I'm not sure that we are. I think that there is this sense of like, like there's more opportunity than there ever has been to just like decide to do something and then get it going that day and to have enough wisdom under your belt of being out of your your early 20s at the very least with the end of millennial to have the wherewithal to do that and to maybe sustain it whereas the people you know gen x they're like but okay but instagram you know it's like there's a little bit of clunkiness to that Mm -hmm. relationship to what there is and then gen z is like kind of everywhere like it's very chaotic and so their lack of sustainability so it's like it really is quite a privileged position in a certain kind of way to be able to sit in this in that seat you know yeah and to i feel like we kind of get to like tap and touch the superpowers of and the wisdom of Gen Z and the wisdom of Gen X. I do actually think that that's what millennials are really good at is immediately Mm. recognizing truth of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, Gen Z. Yeah. The way that Gen Z just like understands gender, Mm. you know, like sort of inherently without anyone having to really explain it to them, I think, or the fluidity of gender or whatever, the mask of gender. And millennials are like, oh, yeah. You're right. Okay, cool. Yeah, change my mind about that thing. Like, we're not going <laughs> to, yeah, we're not going to be uh, problematic like we were in early, the early aughts. Like, now we get it. We're on board. Cool. Got that. Or 
actually, you guys are kind of being dicks <laughs> in this way, or you're being hypocritical because you all say that you care about the environment, but you're still shopping at Zara and on Shein. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that like millennials do have a lot of wisdom because we have access mm. to every generation does, but because we kind of like bridge the gaps between the generations that we're sandwiched between. And because of just honestly, the crazy things that we've lived through, the once in a lifetime things that have happened three times to us that we've like served right. through, we, we have so much to share and I hope that we can from a place of power as opposed to like, I don't know, maybe I have something to share, question mark. I, but like, I'm also so stupid and embarrassing. So like, just ignore me, you know? Right, <laughs> right. And I think that that's what is really interesting to me about the money conversation when it comes to millennials <laughs> is that money doesn't really respond to being unsure or at least the people who have money don't really want to give what they have of it to people who are like, "Eh, you know, like that's cute sort of, but for a very short period of time, basically it's unsustainable. You know, and I think of like still water, like that, like Pluto and Scorpio, it's like, yeah, it's a well, like it's, it's a, it's a very, very, very deep resource. And it comes from very, very deep, like kind of ancient water. Like there's a sense of, having access to something that is really profound and very powerful and our lack of recognition of that and just choosing to kind of yeah like lay on our backs or or almost like throw in the towel or be like oh I tried or like oh well I don't have the same thing that you did so I just am not gonna try you know like that to me is like wow, okay, that sounds awful. It sounds like an awful way to live. It just sounds so, yeah, defeatist. And I want more for people. I want I want people to feel money gets to be an exciting pot that gets filled every time they create something that's like really lights them up and, and excites them. And is like, I have this really incredible thing to share. Even if the thing that they share is like, I can flip burgers like amazingly well, <laughs> or I am really good at customer service at this job like that's okay i think that's another thing that we've lost is like we need all the jobs to be filled and whether we decide that robots take some of them is fine as long as we decide that like 90 percent of human beings don't want to do those jobs that's fine but we need all of these jobs filled that's how this society works and so to prize and prioritize those things i think that's another thing like people are always like ah like make the most money by doing your own thing and being your own business and and like that's not for everyone it's not how to make the most money for the most part is don't start your own business that's not the only way yeah. can you say more about that there are tons of jobs that pay you really well that you get to go home at five o'clock and you don't have to think about your job until you get back to work the next day and you get benefits and you get bonuses and you just are doing your job. Like it doesn't take any emotional labor from you necessarily. And sometimes starting a business, I mean, starting a business can be anything you want. It can be so Mm -hmm. fun and so easy and delightful and magical. And you can clock out at five or four thirty or whatever time you want and not think about it. But I think usually it takes some sort of foundation to get to that point. And that foundation mm-hmm. uh, takes work, at least in my experience, like it takes some planning. It takes being resilient and just kind of 
not even being resilient, but having the resource to be resilient, to like keep going when things are sticky, icky or not working and trying to figure out how to make them work. I think it's not like morally good to start a business, Mm -hmm. you know, or moralistic, let's say to, to start a business or to stay in something for a long period of time. Resilience is it's neutral. Like, Mm -hmm. cool if you have it. Also, cool if you don't have it. Like, awesome. I hope that you don't have to develop resilience over your life. That sounds like awesome. But I just don't think that starting a business is for everyone, nor does it need to be for everyone. And it's sometimes awesome and it sometimes sucks. It kind of depends on your personality and the business that you're in and like, and what you have access to. And it's not a one size fits all answer of like, oh yeah, just start a business and you'll make tons of money and it'll be easy and awesome and you'll love your life. Like lots of people start businesses and are not happy. And and mm-hmm. that's okay. Like I love day jobs. I think day jobs, I just did a whole series on this. Like are I think a lot of artists need a day job because mm-hmm. to pour themselves into their work like completely and to be prolific. They need to be able to turn off their brains and know that they have resource coming in and like not have to worry about that part of their life and Mm -hmm. like problem solving that part of their life because they have other things to problem solve, like bigger questions. And that's fucking cool. Like so many of the artists that I admire had a day job and have had many day jobs that they Mm -hmm. that they really like. But I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you 100 percent about that. I think that yeah, we've sort of overvalued freedom in places where it costs more than we need to pay for it sometimes, or, you know, it's going to cost more for certain people than it's going to cost others. And I also am realizing as you're talking, I'm like, I don't know how, because a lot of times we're trying to convince people that spirituality is useful for business. And I'm like, I don't know how people have their own business without spirituality and like (laughs) without faith and, and like, energy and self-reflection and magic in my experience like how the hell are you doing it i mean if you're just going off of like numbers and like yeah i mean i don't even if you're not actively practicing spirituality the magic is always there like it it doesn't die it doesn't go anywhere it's not like it's absent from someone just because they don't recognize it obviously it can be can be muted it can be overwritten overlooked whatever but without actively engaging your own personal brand of magic, I don't know how people do business. You know, what's really funny about astrology and money, like all those things. The reason I love them is because I love numbers and I love simple math. I just love that. Like if you break it down, astrology is just like angles and that's math, you know, it's geometry and money is just, is like a, a sense of numbers. And like, I love numerology. It's something that I'm I feel really connected to, but it's very easy for me. So I don't talk about it very often, but there's something like really clean about it. Whereas like astrology, human design, all these things, it's very personal and people are very complicated and tangled and very, you know, it's very like webby and numbers are like, they're just something really almost like numbers feel like metal. Carl Jung was huge into numerology and like the divinity in numbers in whole numbers in particular because they they represent that to your point like that weightiness or that like whole incompleteness that there's no question marks necessarily around them i agree 100 percent. i was also thinking yesterday about how numbers are made up but you know that's that's another thing that's actually that's another young question of where numbers 
made up by humans or were they discovered by us? Mm -hmm. Like they already, they did already exist in the world without us. We just happened to put, give them a name that we all yes. agree with, but they did exist before us. Like the Fibonacci sequence is a great example, right? Like that exists in so many different places and yeah. we just happened to notice the pattern and now name it something and you can get very existential with it. It reminds me of the question of like, what is natural versus unnatural? Like, is there actually mm. anything that's unnatural if, right. if humans are nature? Mm -hmm. make things like skyscrapers and AI, then technically that's an extension of nature as well because it yes. comes from us. So like, isn't that also natural? I would say yes. <laughs> I would say yes. This also like coming back to the idea of money, like with numbers, it's like, well, is money just numbers? Like what if it's not just numbers and what is it? I think there's been so much like money's just energy. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Right. In the spiritual right. community, right? That fucking, it's become age old battle between is money just energy? Is it not? And I think the answer is it is a lot of things. Like money just is a lot of things. And one of the things that is is numbers. One of the things that is is energy. One of the things that is is paper, or cloth, or plastic, or there's a lot of different materials that it's made with. It's also real. It's also not real. So it's just like the question of numbers and also like the energy of exchange. It's like, well, we didn't create that. We personalized it. Yeah, we did something to it. We realized that exchange is something that we needed. But, you know, things are exchanging. I mean, our cells are right now exchanging with the environment. Like, it's just constantly happening. Yeah. So all of the messiness around money is actually human. It's man-made. Yeah, yeah. It's us. It's almost like us, like, fretting. It's as absurd or silly as us, like, fretting over, like, how does breathing work? Like, but how mm -hmm. does breathing work when it's like, but you are doing it. You're just, do you're doing it. <laughs> and like, when you think about it, sometimes you can't breathe and you start to panic because mm. you're like, how is this working? And sometimes when you think about it, you can breathe even more deeply and you really feel alive when you take a big breath in or you feel connected to something, but you're still doing it all the time. Like it's, you're still right. breathing until you're not breathing. And mm -hmm. usually that's not a conscious choice, the expiration of the breath. Because to your point, yeah, we're constantly in communication where we're in exchange. And when we're in that same thing, consumption cycle, right? We're consuming or being consumed often at the same time, just like, yeah, oxygen and CO2 and the tree. It's consuming, it's consuming, and it's being consumed by other things, and it's putting something out into the world. And it's like, yeah, a constant cycle. Yeah. The idea of like, you can't take your money to the grave, right? This idea of like this, the money exists in the world as a worldly instrument, and it will no longer mean the same thing when you aren't in the same embodied state. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be funny if you could claim all the wealth of all your past lives every time you became oh alive again? <laughs> what would happen? You get like a little uh, prepaid credit card. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a book or a movie about that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that would um, be, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's also it brings up such a like interesting conversation that's happening. I don't know if I've told you this. I'm studying to become a financial therapist to add it to my repertoire of things that I'm like interested in and like to talk about. There's a very popular thing right now, which is dying with nothing, dying at zero, and mm. so people like acquiring and like 
especially finance guys, getting so much money and then sort of this like pinnacle where they have their money and then they're like, oh, fuck, I'm dying because that's effectively what we're doing, right? As soon as we're born, we're also plummeting towards our death. Now I need to like get rid of this money and Mm. I want to do that in an ethical way or in a beneficial way. And it's so funny of just like, right, we always have to sort of like rush towards something and to almost like completely flip it on its head. It kind of reminds me of being a woman and up until the day that you decide you're ready to have a baby, you're trying desperately not to get pregnant, you know? And then the moment that you decide you want to have a baby, you're like, how the fuck do I get pregnant? Like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. And just like, oh yeah, the fickle nature of humans. Like we've decided maybe right now that what our job is, what I want to do is make a ton of money. But eventually it'll be, or at some point it's going to be, I need to get rid of this. Like I can't, mm. I can't take this with me. Hopefully we get to that point where we get live a long life and a healthy life. And we know that we have enough to give away and that's going to sustain us through the end of our lifetime. But it's such a funny thing to, a, a new problem. And again, just like a man-made problem. Mm. Yeah, I think every time I I come to like a really frazzled state with money, I go, if I died tomorrow, would this matter? Like, would I be like annoyed that I spent so much of my time today preoccupied with this? And it does give you a kind of perspective that you can then backpedal from. It's also like you can't oscillate between like, well, what if I die tomorrow? But then I'm in this moment today. And I think that's what a lot of people do with money. They do this thing where it's like, it doesn't matter at all. And then like, but it matters so much to me in this moment because I can't pay my rent, you know, whatever. And so they oscillate between those things. I think that's why a lot of people also then have been dropping out, going back to Christianity, dropping out of spirituality, moving because they're like, they can't handle the, the level of neutral infinite possibilities in between the duality yeah that that we have to constantly surf to be here you know yeah people love that cognitive distortion heaven's reward fallacy if i'm good good things happen to me if i'm bad bad things happen to me that's why christianity is so for some people it is a simple answer and it's simple 100 life that's such a good point i hadn't put that together a lot of the esoteric spiritual realm people are Going back to religious traditions, Abrahamic religious traditions. Yeah, my favorite one is going back to Catholicism. I'm like, so you're just a different kind of magician. Yeah, you're I don't know, just a witch. <laughs> like all your saints are like they're little gods, and I'm I'm also saying this as someone who went to Catholic school and whose family is Italian, and like my grandmother definitely practiced Italian folk magic and was like, it's Catholicism, but that's okay, whatever. How is it any different? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the ultimate beard religion. Like as it's like as if it's anything but magic. Have you seen these like robes and the the first time I went to a Catholic service, I was like, oh, they just want me to feel really tiny and feel really bad and give me give them all my energy while they're up there in like the cool outfits doing all the rituals. Like, yeah. what the hell is this? I want to wear no. A I want to wear right. a cool hat. Yeah. Like even, you know, like the rosary is literally made out of rose petals. Like that's mm-hmm. herbalism. It's a crucifix at the end because it's death magic. Like, come on, you guys. It's body, my blood. Come on. Yeah. And also goes back to the eighth house. I love that. The mm-hmm. the death and the, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. I don't, I don't fault people for wanting, whether comes to money and needing to go back to a day job or going to Christianity, like anything where you're like, I want simplicity. I want to be told what to do and figure out the rest on my own. I never fault people for wanting to do that. Oh, and there's a million other ways. 
yeah, it's so much simpler to if there's a good guy and a bad guy, right? Like even look at like what's happening politically globally. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier if there's a clear good guy and there's a clear bad guy. You're on the right side of history if you do this. You're obviously on the wrong side of history if you do this. And mm -hmm. I was hoping that we had learned after 2020, like that that's, it's not always that cut and dry, you know, like mm -hmm. actually like we need so much nuance. <laughs> but yeah, to your point, like you can't fault people for, for wanting to just have it be clear, have it be easy so that you don't have to wake up and think every day, okay, like how am I relating to this? Like where mm -hmm. do I stand right now with this? Because that is exhausting. Like yeah. it is really hard and and we're not, we're, we don't really live in a world that resources us mm. passively to do that. Uh, we have to like find it and create our own resource to like ballast ourselves so that we can think in that way. And and even then, like, it's still not always possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think what I, what I also want to say, like, to nuance what I said about things being clear is that that's still a choice. Like, what's so fascinating is people want to return to something where like, well, I just want to go to where like, this is just true. And it's like, no, you're still just choosing that that's true. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's still just an active choice to be like, I'm just going to choose for it to be this and this amidst the million other possibilities. It's Yeah, you're just choosing a meaning-making system. In that system, there is true or false. But there are infinite meaning-making systems that you could choose. Yeah. You know, you wake up tomorrow and decide, I'm going to use this other one in which there are, there's not just true and false. There's like everything in between. And yeah, and that's kind of the fun of being a person. <laughs> is that you get to, <laughs> you know, use all these things and play around with them. And have you seen the the movie Fire Island? No. Oh, it's really good. I would recommend it. It has Bo and Yang. Okay. It's Pride and Prejudice, but remade on Fire Island in present day. And there's a very funny quote where he's crying, Bo and Yang, Bo and Yang's character. And he's like, I don't want to be smart. I just want to be hot. I just want to be stupid and hot. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, yeah, I feel that, buddy. I just, I kind of wish yeah. I could just be like, just hot and dumb and, and like, and didn't have to think about these things. And, and sometimes I am just hot and dumb and I really like it. I tried to make the choice of being hot and dumb when I was in like grade school and middle school by hanging out with all of the boys who like repetitively wore the same tennis shoes and sweatpants and would talk about like the government because I thought found them the most interesting. Right. I found them the most interesting because I was friends with everyone, but, and, but I was like, Oh, I get to be just like the pretty girl that just like sits. And then it's like, but then, then they're saying stuff and it makes sense. And then I, here I am thinking again, you know, <laughs> so I've tried, I've really tried. I feel like the Barbie movie, I haven't seen the Barbie movie yet, but yeah, I have a baby. So it's like harder to get to movie theaters and, you know. Yeah. What do you do with a baby? And do you just bring it in the theater? Do you have to pay for a ticket? You don't have to pay for a ticket, but I do feel like it's like in poor taste to bring a baby because I feel like cinema is, can be like an important spiritual and religious experience for some people and art experience. And while I also think that like we need to be more patient with children being in the world and we need to create more yeah. child-friendly spaces because we were all children at one point. I also just like don't want to take away from from the artistry and like the hard work that the people who made the film. I want it to be as experienced as much as it possibly can be for everyone else. So anyways, long story short, I don't take roads to like movie theaters unless there's no mm -hmm. one else there. And also the movie is really long. 
Every movie is three hours these days. What happened to a tight 90? Yeah. I just... They're like, true. You know? Michelle, you need... You need to you need to make a campaign. What happened to the tight ninety girl? Give it back, like get out of there, guys. Come on, be more concise, or give me an intermission. I love an intermission movie. Bring an intermission. Bring it back. Like movie theaters should actually be they should be running on this campaign because they would make more money on concessions if we were all yes like twenty minutes. Yes, like, go get some candy. Go get a new drink. Get maybe a glass of wine. It just I like it. I want that. You know, I don't want to sit through three I, hours. Pitch it because I it's also like we all need to pee. I'm sorry. Like we've all been eating and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I recently saw the boy in the heron and I was falling asleep like throughout. But if there was an intermission, I could have like run around in the in the cold outside and like refreshed and like yeah. really so because that's one of the most important pieces of film I think that's ever been made. <laughs> so the really? boy in the heron, the new Miyazaki movie. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I just wish that there's an intermission. So I I'm voting for you. Thank you. I wish you that. that would be my Trojan horse. That's what I would get. Right. Everyone would vote for me for that reason. And I'd be like, yes. universal basic income. We're going to pair caregivers. Also, everyone right. gets health care. You know, all the secrets. Right. You just put in that in the fine print. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Julissa, I want to be thoughtful of your time because I took you way over. But you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so talented. You're so special. I'm so glad that you're on the Internet and that you're in real life and that you share everything that you share and just that you exist. So thank you for being. How can people work with you and find you? Are you only doing, not only, but are you focusing on one-on-one work right now, like one-off one-on-one work or can more people work with you for like a longer period of time in a container? I am really pushing to the forefront right now, Mystery School, which is my school for wizarding. We're doing it in person in London again. It's the best thing ever. But yes, I do one-to-one readings, which are the best way to start out working with me just to see if you like it because I'm a lot. And then I do offer longer one-on-one coaching containers, but it's it depends on the person. No, it's, you're not a one-size-fits-all kind of person. Yeah, I just really want to make sure that I'm the gal to get you where you want to go. This is the best. You're so smart and I love talking to you. And Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. The 12th House is produced by the Holisticism team with theme music by Nathan McKay and edited by the incredible Softer Sound Studio, who you can find more information about in our show notes. Thanks for listening. 